You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Alex Perites, who is the chief architect at Flux, which is a blockchain-based decentralized cloud computing solution. With that, Alex, welcome to the show from both Nikhil and myself. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Welcome, Alex. So, uh, before we jump into the use case of decentralized computing and storage, uh, I think our audience would love to know about your background. Uh, we know that you were researching in AI before you transitioned to the space. So, could you walk us through your journey a little bit? Sure. Um, so, for the past 10 plus years, I've been doing IT. And in 2018, I did my master's degree uh, in AI, uh, machine learning AI. And I worked with the University of Geneva, uh, of Applied Sciences in Geneva. Um, since then, I've been doing research for them. Since I got my master's degree, I'd done some research and started getting uh, involved into also blockchain myself, just as out of curiosity. And basically what I did during my AI master's is that I bought a couple of GPUs and then I just had them around. And it was basically sitting idle all this time. So I was trying to find a, a proper use case for them. That's when I came across Flux. Great. Th- thanks for sharing that, Alex. So to quickly move on to uh, the company, uh, Flux, that you're working with today. Yes. So could you give our audience a quick overview of what is Flux uh, as a protocol, as a company, how it began and uh, how it has evolved over the years? So so I couldn't uh, explain from the inception uh, how the company started, but uh, because I joined only two years ago, the team uh, to manage the decentralized compute side of things. Sure. But Flux basically is a is mainly a fork from Bitcoin. Uh, then it had uh, two different names. Um, it went from um, it, it was Zelle Cash, and then it migrated in twenty twenty one to Flux. What Flux is, it, it provides a de- decentralized uh, storage and compute. L- same thing as you would do with the AWS. We can call it even a decentralized AWS. You want to run a VPS? Uh, we have that. So if I take from the beginning what Flux offers is two sides of things. There's one side that is, as I said earlier, it's a fork from Bitcoin. So if it's a proof of work coin, so it's layer one. Um, the rewards of each block is basically split in two. 50% goes to the miner and 50% goes as an incentive for people to stand up nodes. So these nodes are actually a nodes for the infrastructure of the network. So these nodes contribute to to some sort of decentralized VPS. So when you stand up a node, you basically stand up a machine for someone to rent or run their applications on. That's one side of the product. And the second side of the product, which I come into play, is build upon this decentralized network a decentralized compute solution. So with all these GPUs, as I mentioned before, that I had laying around, and also as a university team member for research, uh, we had a lot of resource, so hardware that we just have laying around and not in full use because there's no way we can make use of this 100% of the time. And because, well, one of the main issues with this is also that, as many of you may know, 
no workflow is very static. It's always very dynamic. So the needs of one is always changing depending on the, the work that needs to be done. Unfortunately, that contributes to a lot of overhead and also a lot of underutilization of the resources that we purchased. So that's where the solution comes in. It's basically a hybrid where you can share your resource that are not in use to people that need it. And when you need more, you can also tap into the network, just like you would do with... Um, there's an analogy that I like using. I think it's the car. You buy a car because it's convenient for you to have, but you barely use it all the time. I'm pretty sure you're not driving 24-7. And you're not like uh, occupying all the five seats in the car. So what could you do with that is you could either rent your car, but that's not something you really want to do because you don't really trust the other person. But at the same time, you're not giving away your hardware. You're just renting it. You're, it's not moving from your place, unlike the car analogy. Um, so right. So so yeah. I mean, this sounds like you know the general sharing economy that you know we are sort of exactly uh, moving towards the Airbnbs, the Ubers of the world. So yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's a great analogy, but could you actually like from the perspective of pricing performance, you mentioned a couple of names there. So like how Flux compares, just, just to understand the business side of things, right? Like business use case. Uh, how does it compare with centralized services like Amazon AWS or Microsoft Azure, you know, in terms of pricing performance and other things? And and most importantly, if you could tell us a little bit about the adoption so far. Yep. Or if you could just tell us about some of your customers, yeah, that would be great. So uh, f from a centralized uh, solution, such as AWS, uh, GCP, or others, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you, you can't really have the availability of the resources responding to every demand. So you have to have this overhead. Uh, you have to over-provision to be able to respond to any type of fluctuating demand. Um, so f when standing up a data center, you basically need to have some land, build a facility on top of that. You have a lot of maintenance cost of buying the hardware. Uh, you have a lot of these operational costs that adds on top of the existing capital expenses. So that also uh, factors into the pricing of what they can rent it out to you. Uh, as a decentralized uh, solution, well, basically all this hardware is already built and already purchased by you and me as a consumer. Um, for example, you probably have a computer at home or maybe one of your kids do, and they're not using it all the time. So they get a reward for basically sharing their hardware. And us as customers, if we want to rent more hardware, it's going to be cheaper because we don't have all this overhead because the hardware has already been paid for. So you can see it as a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace more of. So if I could just quickly have a follow-up question to that. So is there like a specification as to what hardware can go onto the Flux network from the supply side? Uh, or just your regular laptops, you know, uh, at consumer level laptop that could be part of the network, you know, for providing this decentralized compute or storage? So um, th there's no uh, minimum requirements, per se, uh, on the GPU side of things, on the GPU marketplace. On the node side of things, we do have some requirements. So uh, as I mentioned, there's two sides of the network. There's the node side, so acting as a pure VPS with no additional GPUs. And then there's these uh, specific machines uh, with GPUs on top of them. So if you want to uh, host applications or services, you'd rather go to the node side. So on that side, we do have certain minimum requirements because we're providing a service and this service has to be of a certain quality. Uh, for, for the GPU side of things, depending on the work, workload and the use case the client wants to run, we'll try to find the best match 
for the machine you provide. So for you don't need super expensive hardware to be able to uh, render an image. It may take more time or it may need more machines. But in the end, there's no, I wouldn't say there's no minimal requirement, but the requirements are pretty low in order to allow anyone to participate to this piece. It's really trying to extend the, uh, the lifespan of existing hardware because unfortunately, um, the, the need of hardware increases. But as I mentioned earlier, it's still pretty dynamic in terms of, well, it's pretty versatile in terms of use case, but it's also pretty dynamic in terms of usage. So there, there's a certain balance of, um, well, it's basically offer, offer and demand at this point. Got it. So just to kind of understand this from the end customer's point of view as well, right? I mean, like we, yes. are, we are seeing this huge explosion in the past few months of uh, AI-based apps, you know, with generative AI going into text and video and audio. You have Whisper, you have uh, Stable Diffusion, and I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of requirement for computing, right, going forward, maybe from the average consumer standpoint. So for, for, for the regular person to understand, could you give an idea of, you know, what would be the ideal sort of uh, demand of compute and storage coming to the Flux network? So I don't think there's an ideal type of demand. I think all demand is valid uh, if you want to just to run a, a small application or if you want to perform high, high-end computation as running multiple AI models or compare or uh, tune them better. Um, you, you can submit any type of jobs. It's, it, it just depends on what are your needs. So we do have multiple options available for the end uh, customers. So if they need more intensive compute, maybe they won't find it in uh, maybe the machine you are offering or I am offering. Maybe these universities that, for example, I worked with um, can provide instead because they decide to share their resources to the public because they need, well, they don't need to make back their money, but it's a lot of investment beforehand and it's just going to waste. So from a paper I wrote. So uh, that's actually a good po point. I wanted to ask also from, so what kind of customer are you actually targeting? Are you looking at uh, startups or small companies or large companies, individuals or businesses? Uh, do, you, do you have any particular target for your offering? So in terms of customers, do you mean um, providers or clients that no, will it, use it? In, ter in terms of end users, right? We're talking about the end users, consumers of your uh, of the of the VPC and of of the compute that you're providing. So we right? we do have uh, a couple of names in terms of providing, but in terms of consumers, we also do, but we can't really fully disclose it yet. Sure, no problem. I think, you know, the basic thing, you know, that that we were trying to understand was, is, is the ideal customer somebody like me who just wants to try out maybe a very small oh. AI model, you know, that, that yes. doesn't currently have the requirements on his machine to run a large language model, you know, uh, to, to test out things, you know, or, or is it uh, small companies uh, that you're looking at who would be using this decentralized Compute and storage. So, th or, that, or is it like you're not you're agnostic? You don't care, and anybody could sign up. Uh, we don't care. Anybody can sign up. We actually uh, have our um, so our service can be run on Ubuntu as well as Windows. So you don't need. We we really want to be able to integrate it into existing uh, existing environments. So that way you don't need to change your habits of how you use and you share your resources. 
um, when you want to use resources, you just go to um, our page and then you can rent as many computers as you want for your use case. Or just if you want to select a use case and deploy it, we have some recommendations that would fit the use case in terms of hardware as well. Uh, in terms of customers, on the other hand, it's really, it can be you, it can be me, it can be bigger enterprises, it can be universities as well, because most of the time at university, uh, I'm bringing it all up, university up, because that was my main focus and main use case as well. But um, we, we do have these machines, we pay a lot of money for it, but as I mentioned earlier, it's pretty much limited to what we have uh, on-premise. Um, when we need more, then we switch to AWS and we don't even touch that unit anymore. So um, this, this way of moving forward, uh, if we do provide this sort of marketplace, we can select your own machine and pull it with other machines as well and then run, run it together and not just leave your machine sitting idle or share it with someone else. So it, it really, uh, we're really focused on to providing this solution to everyone, as well as companies, as well as institutions or individuals. Uh, or even if you want to do some stream gaming. I know it's not the, the primary focus, but it can also be done. Got it. Yeah, I, th I think that that adds a lot more clarity. And uh, do you want to maybe touch on the pricing a little bit, you know, compared to, say, uh, Microsoft Azure or Amazon AWS? So in terms of pricing right now, I can't fully disclose how it's going to be calculated. It's going to be totally transparent. But uh, what I want to bring up is that we are releasing the software. Uh, you can... Uh, we, we will be able to benchmark every single machine on multiple factors, and then we'll factor each of these components into the pricing. So it will be totally transparent. But if you already look at uh, a few other solutions, that, uh, such as Vast AI, for example, um, these solutions are way cheaper because, as I mentioned earlier, there's no cost on our end. So it's, well, peer-to-peer, -peer, basically. So, so it's like almost tenfolds, uh, around tenfolds less. Great. Yeah, so I think uh, to kind of shift gears and maybe go into, you know, how the Flux protocol actually works, uh, Nikhil, maybe you want to... Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we talked about Flux and uh, what the use case is. Uh, uh, you said that it's a decentralized AWS. Uh, and you also talked about uh, how Flux can be deployed onto Windows and Linux and uh, how uh, seamless it is for... How, how you aim to make it easy for customers to use it. So in terms of actually using uh, Flux, uh, so assuming I'm a you know developer in a small startup and uh, we want uh, to use Flux for I don't know uh, just some CPU usage, uh, some compute, and uh, some maybe uh, GPU uh, model training that I have. How would I actually go about setting this up? What, what do I have to do? So uh, if you only want to run a service or a, a application uh, on our decentralized networks, it's already available. It's been available and stable since uh, two years now, more than two years, actually. Uh, so you can just go onto the websites. Uh, so if you can dockerize your application or solution, you can just deploy it on the network and you get three instances. So you get three nodes. That way we can ensure 100% uptime. So if one node goes down, another picks back up. There's always a minimum of three, but you can extend it up to, I think, 100 or more. Okay, uh, so everything is on Docker. Suppose I want to, can I deploy a Kubernetes cluster on, so, on that node? So if, if you do want to deploy a Kubernetes cluster into the node, that would be more targeted towards our solution that's coming up by the end of this year. Okay, so uh, you're essentially offering 
compute as a Docker container Rise solution uh, that you can deploy at any point. So when I actually deploy to this particular, uh, my application to this particular Docker container on uh, Flux, uh, the Docker host on Flux, how, how does that actually work underlying? So does it actually, do I know which node it's going to be on? Is it going to be completely peer-to-peer? How, how does that actually get translated uh, to uh, some particular resource, some particular CPU somewhere. So uh, I just want to make clear that there's still these two sides. So the existing infrastructure, which is basically the decentralized VPS uh-huh. uh, with these nodes that can run applications. And there's the other side which G- with GPUs that's coming online, which will be uh, running on Kubernetes by the end of the year. So for the yeah. part that you just mentioned on the application uh, uh, side, let's assume let's assume that it we are I'm trying to do it on your existing solution. So how does it work yes. with your existing solution? So on the existing solution, three nodes are going to be selected randomly. Uh, you can uh, obviously if uh, if you want to uh, deploy in certain regions or limit it to others or restrict it to others. Sorry. Um, you can have that option as well. So if you want to deploy only in the in North America or only keep it in Europe for basically regulations, you can. Three nodes will be selected randomly within that region that you selected or within the region you did not exclude. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about uh, considerations of performance? So suppose I want to put a web server on one node, a database server on the other node, and uh, I don't know, a cache on the third node. I would be concerned about, you know, if all of them are three different nodes in three different places, even if it is Europe, that would be a problem, right? Um, it's it's three similar, uh, it's three uh, copy of the same node. Okay. So if you want to deploy more services, you'll have more nodes, basically. Ah, okay, cool. So this is basically more of a, so when you say three nodes, it is, uh, it's more of a replication setup. Uh, it's kind of like to make sure that uh, you have redundancy. Exactly. So that way, okay. if one falls, there's always another that, to pick one up. Okay. So then how does the networking work? How do I actually target a particular... So suppose I'm, you know, bcdialogues.com uh, yes. is uh, is going to be hosted. Uh, how does the, How do I actually set up the DNS routing so that uh, it is going to equally divided between the three web servers that I set up. So you can specify the the domain name, I believe, uh, as you set up these nodes. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not really familiar with the node side of things, to be fair. Okay. I'm more in charge of the GPU sides, uh, mm-hmm. but you can even, if you want to start a website from scratch or even import it, uh, we have our WordPress solution that's ready and basically just specify everything on that one page and then you deploy it and it's up and ready to go in a few instances. Okay, so that's basically the experience from the perspective of a of a user, right? Yes. So, in the from the perspective of a uh, provider, right? So the other side of the marketplace. Yes. Uh, how would I sign on to Flux? What do I need to do to set up a, a node on Flux? What are requirements and things like that? And uh, how do I actually, you know, make money? So, um, for the Flux nodes requirements. Um, there's three different tiers of nodes. Uh, we do have these segmented in tiers, so that way we can ensure uh, uh, specifications that are, well, we need to ensure basically that the specifications are met because we want the network to be performant and also provide a quality service. You don't really want to run your application on a node that's uh, less uh, performant than the minimum requirements. 
How, how do you spe- how do you ensure that I am meeting your specifications? So benchmarks are, are run frequently uh, when you first have your node come onto the network and then randomly throughout its existence. So there's always benchmarks running at some point just to ensure that uh, you're not cheating. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, updates that have been going through the two past years to ensure that nobody's cheating the system. And a few nodes have been booted off uh, the network because they were trying to cheat. I mean, you, you don't really want to pay for a service that someone's trying to scam you off and you pay, you're not paying for what you get. Correct. So the benchmark is basically run on uh, the node that I've uh, specified as, uh, okay, this is a node that uh, I'm providing, this is a service I'm providing. Exactly. So there's minimum of core, minimum of threads, RAM, uh, storage, uh, write speed, and EPS as well, and as well as networking bandwidth. Okay, so that that handles the benchmarking part of it. And uh, okay, yes. I've set this up. Now what do I need to do? Is there is there anything else other than the hardware that I need to do, or so do I need to set up a wallet or something? How, how do so there, there's a uh, some sort of staking form uh, that needs to be put into place. So that way you are participating to the network as well. But it's it's a staking where it does it never leaves your wallet. So basically, you you just have to show a proof that you own this amount of flux. Okay. And uh, you use this, it's it's called a collateral transaction ID. Right. So you just show that you have this amount of flux onto your on your wallet, and then you can specify it into the node when you're installing it, basically. And then you just have it sit there and it, it does its things and you earn uh, frequently some flux uh, off the network. As I mentioned, from the proof of work side, the coins get split in half. 50% goes to the miner and 50% goes to people that stand up nodes. Okay, the uh, people who stand up nodes. So how does that proportion work, right? You probably have thousands of nodes and thousands of people. Even you say, okay, fine, 50% of the transaction fee goes to miners and to... Uh, are the transaction fees tied to the node host in some way? Do the miners know where to send the 50%? I mean, what percentage of the 50? It's done automatically. It's part of our of our chain. Uh, it's... Basically, every block reward gets split into two automatically. Yeah, but into two, the minor part of it is obvious because it's the minor who wins the puzzle. Yes. The other part of it is what I'm asking, right? So how does it get split among the node operators? And what, what is the percent, What and what proportion does it get split? Is it equally split or what? So uh, 35% is split. Um, th- so there's three tiers of node, as I mentioned earlier, and... Each of these three tiers require more uh, hardware and also more flux to to stand up. Right. Um, I believe. L- let me just pull up the numbers real quick. I don't have them uh-huh. in mind. So I believe it's somewhere between thirty percent for the Stratus. So that's the beefiest one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the Nimbus, which is twelve point five percent, and the Cumulus, which stands at seven point five percent, and that adds up to fifty percent. Okay. So again. Even let's take the Stratus, right? It's the BPS yes. node. Uh, depending on the number of people who have set up a Stratus node, that thirty percent is going to be further split, correct? Yes, exactly. So, will it be split equally? Or will it be split by uh, what is the way in which it gets split? It, it gets split equally between all the Stratus holders. Okay, so it does not matter how many uh, Stratus instances I have; it's just. You'll get the same rewards, exactly, on each. Cool. Uh, 
and it does not matter whether my status instances are idle or whether they are used by somebody or not exactly okay it's just so we we can we also do the same we all also um, provision this hardware so it's available for anyone that wants to start their nodes absolutely okay cool and so so that's from the provider side um, and so i set up my node and i'm uh, i've locked my uh, i've staked my uh, flux and uh, you said there's a third piece to it which is basically the mining and the and the tokenomics side of it so are miners a separate what do you call actor in the whole uh, ecosystem are they different from the node operators can a node operator become a miner as well or are they kind of exclusive to each other so a, a miner can be only mining flux if he wants and a node operator can be only running nodes if he wants but okay uh, they can both be both if they want to as well most most of the times we see people that are mining uh, with their flux instead of staking it they stand up their own node okay and and they use their uh, the mine node that uh, mine flux they use uh, to stake a stake a node exactly okay and uh... and the type of the type of applications uh, that you can basically run on Flux is anything that you can containerize, as I mentioned earlier. But an, a more interesting usage of this, and uh, a lot of chains now are running basically their nodes onto our infrastructure. So, uh, for example, uh, Kadena is a really good example, which had uh, about like 30 or 40% of the network running on Flux at, at some point. So instead of hosting uh, on AWS your validator nodes or uh, everything else, uh, you can run it on Flux if you want. So there's a lot of chains now, such as PreSearch, uh, which is a very popular one as well, that is running on Flux. So instead of renting a VPS, you deploy your other chain uh, on Flux, basically. Right. So so basically, their entire ecosystem is running on a digital current uh, blockchain-based system rather than having to do deal with fiat at all. Yes, but also there's, um, for example, if everything is hosted in AWS and it's in that one data center in this, in the US, and then they decide, uh, per regulation that it is not fit to run crypto projects anymore. Yeah. Then with our network, you can quickly switch or have it like, because it's already decentralized, move it elsewhere. Yeah. I, I see the, I see that point. So, uh, so we have the, uh, the mining that is done uh, separately. Are there any kind of specifications for the mining node? Do I or uh, is there, is that just like a, a standard client that you install on your machine and standard client and you mine as you would uh, do with uh, other projects? Okay, cool. So uh, and uh, I think we mentioned that it is a proof of work protocol, right? Um, yes. Uh, is there anything special about this or is it like a standard proof of work protocol that we use with Bitcoin, for example? Or, uh, uh, it is a fork from uh, Bitcoin, uh, then called Zell Cash, as I said earlier, and then got rebranded in 2021 into Flux. Okay. So is it the same algorithm, the same hashing algorithm? Uh, Equihash, uh, I believe. Yeah, Equihash 256 yeah, or something like that. Exactly. Okay, cool. So... Uh, this means that for potentially the mining community, a miners, professional miners can add their hashing power to Flux if they choose to. Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, that's great. That's a look at Flux as it stands. And, uh, and I understand, but you are more excited about the GPU part because uh, that I, I believe that's what you were been working on. So let's move into the GPU thing. 
can you explain to me how this uh, this GPU capability is getting added on to the existing Flux uh, ecosystem? And how is it uh, unique from it or different from just adding uh, just a regular CPU storage system? So um, the, the way you want to address this maybe is the way you want to schedule a decentralized uh, workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you want to schedule multiple GPU workloads, you need an orchestration tool. This orchestration tool needs to be hosted somewhere. Right. Most of the times, it's it, it will be hosted, uh, and probably you know the answer, but it will be hosted by a centralized provider, basically. Yeah, I mean, you can have uh, any kind of thing, right? You'll have, like, a, I don't know, a Python notebook uh, running somewhere that is coordinating... Uh, batches of uh, models, uh, data sets being uh, trained and all that. Uh, I was actually talking about the actual infrastructure, not even like the oh, workload okay. itself, but the if you want to like uh, provision a certain computer with a certain workload, oh, then you right. have to address okay. this computer. So you need that orchestration sure. tool. You need, a, you need an orchestration tool to say, okay, exactly. this is a set of computers that we want uh, to yes. run this workload on. Okay. But that orchestration tool needs to be hosted somewhere. And most of the times it will end up on a data center well, in a data center. But the, the the goal is also to be able to host this onto our decentralized network as well. Okay. So, so, so is that is that not possible right now? Why why can't sorry. I just create a Docker container on a Flux node and make that the orchestrator? You can. That okay. that's the, the main idea of it. It's we're just working onto our own solution that will uh, deal with it effectively. Okay. And along the line, uh, uh sorry down the road, that that's our real goal, actually, to provide in a decentralized manner from A to Z, have people actually providing the hardware and the equipment so they can also earn back from what they already invested in, right? but also participate to the network and be able to use more than what they have without going the extra mile of buying more equipment. It's also more sustainable. Yeah, so, so in order to actually add uh, GPU capabilities, do you have now a new type of, uh, like you mentioned, cumulus, nimbus, and stratus? Uh, do you have another layer or another type of node for GPU specifically, or h- how does that work? So there, there won't be a, another type of node. It will be a service or, or software that you can install onto your existing machine, as I mentioned earlier. Ah, but uh, that, but that implies that your existing machine needs to have a GPU, right? Yes. Okay. But it it doesn't necessarily need to because some people don't need a GPU to run. But yeah, you can just simply hook up your machine to uh, install the software, and it will hook up to the network, and and every workload that needs to rent your machine will be scheduled to your machine. Okay. And, and there's no requirements in terms of flux. Anyone can participate. We really want to encourage everyone just to join the network and provide, and also use the network as well. Okay, so I don't need Flux to set up uh, to set up my GPU or uh, donate my GPU to the no uh, to the Flux network. Okay, exactly. So I- I'm still a little kind of confused as to how this would actually work in real time, right? Real life, right? Because okay, so let's take maybe a concrete example. Uh, LLMs are all the rage right now. Uh, so yes. let's let's imagine that I'm. I've gone to Hugging Face, I've downloaded uh, my favorite uh, LLM and I'm going to uh, do some uh, additional training on it with my custom data set, mm-hmm. right? So that's the, that's the scenario. 
uh, and I'm I'm just a consumer, you know, sitting in front of a you know my Mac laptop out here. I've got my data set with me. It's a few gigabytes in size. Uh, I've got the model with me. That's another few gigabytes in size. Uh, and uh, I've got uh, I mean I've got Python skills. Uh, and uh, I want to kind of like create maybe I've created a, a, a you know a batch a script that will take all of this and. Uh, start off uh, a training uh, session right and yep. uh, so what would uh, i need to do you to uh to use fluxes yeah and and how yes. will flux internally basically take this several i don't know maybe let's call it 100 gigabytes total and uh, actually run it in you know 100 people's computers uh, is it one computer or 100 people's computer or how how does it actually get split up so uh, there, there's multiple points to address here so to what you yeah. brought um you first have to know what your specifications are to run your your uh, script basically Okay. Uh, to be to be able to train your model. So if you want to train, like if you want to train your, so, so I don't when know. I, when you say specifications, you mean hardware specifications, like yes, minimum amount of RAM, uh, how much, uh, how much storage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Yes. Uh, it, it, okay. In the first iterations of our product, yes, at least. Okay. Uh, we aim to make it a bit more dynamic. Uh, later, later on. Uh, yeah. This word too much. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so imagine uh, I know that, and I specify, say, okay. It needs to be, I don't know, a 32 gigabyte machine. Uh, it needs to be a minimum of a uh, RT460 GPU type GPU. Mm -hmm. uh, I need at least uh, 256 cores. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, maybe a standard uh, AMD CPU or something like that to do the uh, uh, orchestration part. So uh, if if you can't fit your whole model onto one machine, you can, well, just go with one machine. It really depends on two. Uh, what what is required to run that model already? You, okay. you can't really like so if it, if it's too large to fit on a single machine. Suppose I said it's 128 megs of RAM, and uh, then then basically uh, would I need to uh, write some uh, code to kind of split up the uh, training? Well, the the most important part is to be able to fit the model onto the GPU and not in the well. Okay. On, onto the GPU itself, so. Um, if it can't fit on the GPU itself, either you, well, the, the ideal use case is to be able to run it onto one machine, but you, uh, there are also some libraries that can, uh, run these in, onto parallel, uh, GPUs. Yeah. Okay. So basically I pull up, uh, TensorFlow, for example, and kind of break up the, uh, write some more code to break it up into, yes, uh, specific tasks. Exactly. So that, that, that won't, in, in the first, well, initially that won't be, that that will be to the end user to know how their model works to know if mm -hmm. it's if you split into uh, multiple GPUs you you have to know that your model is not going to be as performant because it can't really encapsulate the the whole data and it can't take it into account into make a better uh, prediction. So, do you have any recommendations or any kind of constraints around the type of uh framework like for example uh, tensorflow versus flytorch versus something else so we do have uh, basically what we provide onto the marketplace that you'll see soon enough i think there has been already a few releases of some snapshots mm -hmm. um but you do have some sort of preset they can deploy so these presets include already a few libraries installed and also has a few frameworks uh, such as uh, i'm pretty sure you're familiar with the jupyter hub or Ju 
Yeah. Google Collabs, if you want to call okay. it that. So, so basically, you can create a Jupyter notebook and deploy that. Yeah, exactly. You can. It's it's it comes as a preset. You just deploy it, and it gets provisioned onto the selected machines. And then you can mm. use it as if you were using on it on Google Collab itself. Okay. Or if you want to, you can just go the custom route and just rent it as you would do with a like bare VPS with a GPU on top. Yeah, and then and you can then install set, the libraries. Set, 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 uh, set up everything. Uh, yes. As a Docker. So is that a, a, a bare metal VPS or will it have like a Docker daemon and you can deploy Docker on it? Uh, it it's not Docker, container D, but yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, I think that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty interesting, uh, overview. So, uh, obviously, uh, we may, you've talked about this and, uh, it's, uh, you said that this is coming down the line. So maybe it's a good time to talk about some of the, uh, uh, roadmap and, uh, the way Flux is moving forward, right? So maybe you could share a little bit about uh, what's next for Flux. Obviously, the GPU is one of it. And then what comes after the GPU part and what's the path forward? So, so as for the roadmap, so it's, it's moving down the line. Uh, end of this year, we are aiming to provide one of the first, uh, hands on to the project to our end users to be able to run simple tasks, such as I think the actual mining piece is just a bonus, but, um, just to get for us as for the end user, a first hands on experience. Uh, for us, how it will benefit us is that we get to know what type of machines are there and be able to run multiple benchmarks is going to be providing us a lot of valuable insights into what kind of, um, on, on how we reward these workers in the first place, because we have to know what type of, uh, we don't have the variety of hardware resources as a company, so we need also to gather data for ourselves to be able to provide a better solutions for the end customer. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, you'd be working with your partners to see what kind of uh, GPU hardware is available, uh, and then you know use use that to create kind of like uh, understanding of okay, what's on the market and what's uh, yes. what's possible. And be able to benchmark every single type of machines with every single type of uh, work uh, use case that we have running onto this new network. So either rendering or AI, which gets subdivided into I don't know how many categories, but mainly those two. Okay, cool. And uh, so that's the immediate part. What about yes. uh, uh, medium to long term? So um, at the same time, when we release that, we'll we'll start selecting a few machines to participate to the, to actually running these, uh, first use case as part of testing. Uh, and 2024, 2025 is going to be the year where everything comes to life, uh, to the big public. Uh, if everything goes well, I know there's a lot of ifs uh, in IT, <laughs> but, uh, it should be, uh, well, normally, uh, it's going smoothly pretty far. Right. And 2024 should be the year for us to finally released this okay so once you released it right so yes what are the opportunities that you're seeing for flux again stepping back as to okay we talk about flux being a you know uh, or, or decentralized version of aws and we we talk about okay this is a peer-to-peer uh, marketplace but they're obviously 
challenges to that, right? There is limitations from being decentralized versus centralized, and there's also advantages to being decentralized versus centralized. So can you talk a little bit about your some uh, thoughts about not just Flux, about Web3 and this whole idea of a decentralized cloud uh, offering, and uh, where do you see the opportunities and where do you see the challenges? So these are my words. So the way I see yeah, Web3, absolutely, it's your opinion. Yeah, exactly. So um, the the way I see Web three moving forward is, what, what I think it's it shouldn't be something that we need to transition to. It's something that needs to kind of creep up into our day to day work uh, workflow, basically. So I, I for me, I really want to see this moving towards as it gets integrated into everyone's routine almost. You don't see that you're using Web3, but it gets integrated into you. And that's the solution we're working on is to make it as seamless as possible. That's why we don't want to be, we don't want it to have to be installed as an OS. We just want it to be integrated to an existing system. So that way we don't disrupt what is already into place, but we slowly and gradually transition to a more decentralized usage. We're not getting rid of Web2. We're just merging with it. So, uh, that's that's a great insight, uh, and I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, you know, developers, I mean, every everybody basically, it should feel natural to go from one yes. one to the other, right? You took the transition from you know web one to web two. Also, it was just one fine day. Everybody woke up and realized, oh, there are these new capabilities that people have been using for some time now, and then uh, there was almost no kind of uh, you couldn't see there is an inflection point or anything like that. But uh, in order to do that, you also got a very large community of people, right? Developers, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, creators, IT people, who, to be frank, are currently quite skeptical about this whole blockchain business. How do you make it so that they feel that, okay, this is a drop-in replacement, enough that they would want to make the switch and even if it is a drop-in replacement right you also have to look at the existing amount of uh, investments that have already been placed right there is the sunk cost fallacy thing right i've already spent five years of my life or 10 years of my life being an aws expert why would i ever want to change to flux it's um why would i want to change to flux i think it's something that we need to work on uh, when you want to use aws you have these type of uh, training course that you have to follow to use their software. And we don't really want that on our end because we just want it to be as simple as anything for everyone to use. Uh, I, as, as we said, we don't want it to be another obstacle that you have to go over to be able to use it. Ah, but uh, there is a reason why there is a training course in AWS and they give certifications, right? It's yes. also because... Uh, the offering is that comprehensive. You can literally build your entire company on AWS, right? Yes. So it's always a it's always a balance, right? So yes. when you make an offering that complete, complete and that complex, you naturally have to invest in uh, documenting it and providing training for it, so people actually understand all that is available. Exactly. Right? Because because otherwise, or, or you, I mean, I still even now know several places where people think of AWS as EC2 and, uh, you know, it's just yep. a VM on, on the cloud and you <laughs> deploy and you're done. And uh, it's it's such a, a waste of all the resources that AWS has and it's actually 
a more expensive way of using AWS than <laughs> that is possible, right? <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so, so uh, let's take Flux out of the question right now, equation right now, and just imagine that okay, there is this large Web three company that's bringing decentralization and all that. Are you targeting? Do should that tar- that company target these EC two users, or should they uh, and 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 make it so that it it makes it easy for them to just move over and set up a VM on on the decentralized thing, or do they actually do you actually think that uh, no, we should actually provide the same set of all these services, you know, like uh, monitoring, logging, uh, managed SQL. Uh, there's so many things that you get can, can do. Fargate, uh, <laughs> containerization, Kubernetes, all of these things. Uh, that and uh, provide all of them on the decentralized network to make it compelling for everybody to move over. So ideally, uh, that would be the, the the end use case. That's why we really invite everyone to come on so we can build together because we don't know what one needs and one. There's so many different type of use case that we have to kind of be able to cater to every and each of them. Mm-hmm. We obviously don't have the amount of resource that AWS has. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be from the get-go that we get to that point. They started to build it off of out of a simple company as well, and they started to grow oh, yeah. and adapt to it. So that's where Amazon we are. Amazon was pretty big when they started AWS, and even then they started just offering storage. Yes. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you that uh, it, it needs to be done. But I think... Uh, Again, from a larger Web3 perspective, that's going to be the challenge, right? Because exactly. uh, you have these entrenched players with this, with these nice big uh, certifications and all of these other things and documentation and all of these different types of offerings. And uh, to come and say, hey, okay, we are a decentralized thing. Uh, over time, you'll find us to be cheaper because we've got competition. It's, it's kind of hard to kind of, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, okay, that's a necessary thing, but it's not, well, it's going, it remains to be seen whether it'll be compelling enough for, for people to switch over, right? And maybe it's just going to be a small stream, a few people, uh, like you said, you know, you start off in the blockchain ecosystem itself, people who know the decentralization thing. So the cadenas of the world, they start setting up their nodes in, uh, on decentralized uh, compute. And then uh, slowly everybody else comes over. Uh, but that, that sounds like it's going to be a while, right? It's not, not something that happens overnight. Yes. And that's uh, basically why we're also releasing this first piece is also so we can start working with people that are actually having a few use case that they can provide to us and we can kind of tailor to and also adapt and try to generalize to basically be prepared for these type of consumers as well. We need as much as as much input as for from the pro- providing side, but also from the using side. Um, and I think I think we just build organi- organically and go kind of together uh, from there and moving forward, obviously. Cool. That's that's a great. Uh, I mean, uh, that's that's best. Probably the best thing we can do right now is to keep working at it, right? Uh, yeah. Hopefully, Web three will uh, come sooner or later, and then you know, one fine day, I'm waking up and. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, we're already all decentralized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the main goal. Yeah. Cool. It was great uh, chatting, uh, Alex. Uh, uh, I think this was a great conversation. Uh, and I want to send my uh, regards to Flux. I think they're doing a great thing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the GPU offering 
and uh, all the other uh, things that you have planned in your roadmap coming down the line. Thank you. And also before we end, Alex, I just wanted to let you know, I'll be including the Flux website in the show notes. But if there's anything else that you want to tell our audience, uh, you know, where to find more information, how to get involved or any announcements or anything, uh, now would be a good time. Yeah, so uh, you can reach us anytime onto our Discord. So if you want to visit us on our website, it's runonflux.io. Uh, there you have all the links to our social medias and you also have access to our Discord where there's always someone to answer your questions. And I'll be more than happy to entertain and work with you guys if you want to work on a special solutions for your own uh, company or startup. Great. So yeah, once again, uh, Alex, thank you for taking the time to speak with us and uh, all the best to your team. A pleasure to both of you. Thank you very much. Once again, that was Alex from Flux. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.